If you haven't noticed, our theme today is hope. The songs we sang this morning were longing songs, weren't they? They were looking forward to something. There were people waiting. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning as we begin the Advent season. If you are watching online with us today, a special welcome to you. Hi, Mom. Hi, Maddie, out in Ohio. Hi, George and Dorothy. I know they've been watching faithfully. Spindlers down in uh, Sinclairville, welcome to you. And anyone else that didn't make it because of the terrible snowstorm we had, um, it's not that bad here in Dunkirk, so come on down. If you're watching online, you can chat or comment and let us know that you're here with us. But those of you that came this morning especially, I'm thankful that you're here. We're beginning this brand new series, an Advent series called The Promise. And over the next several weeks, we're looking at the church themes of Advent, discovering a God who always keeps his promises. He is always faithful. And those promises give us real hope, real joy, real peace, real love. And those are things that are not just for the Christmas season, but they are for every day. They're the reasons that we follow Jesus Christ as our Savior, because we want those things in our lives. In case you haven't noticed, Christmas is just a month away. I also didn't say happy birthday to my brother John, but today's his birthday. Um, We are counting down to Christmas. We're getting closer, and we start planning earlier and earlier every year. Many of you have had your Christmas decorations up as soon as November came, and that's okay. It is cheery to see lights and to see Christmas all around us. Our family traditionally waited until after Thanksgiving because we wanted to get the most out of the pumpkin pie, the most out of that uh, celebration of thanks. So we waited until the day after Christmas, I'm sorry, the day after Thanksgiving to start putting up our Christmas decorations. And if you stopped in our house for the growth group that's not happening tonight, There would still be Christmas totes all around because we're trying to find places to put up our decorations. We look forward to Christmas. We enjoy the anticipation, the excitement. Most of the kids have left the room already, but those that are still with us, this is probably the most exciting time of the year for kids looking forward to Christmas. And that's something that we don't want to lose as parents and grandparents, as a church family to help kids look forward and count down. And that's the purpose of Advent, to count these weeks down and look back into Scripture and say, what were people waiting for? Why were they so excited? So for my family, we always used Advent calendars. How many of you had Advent calendars as a kid or still use them today? My father would usually bring home one of the chocolate ones. You remember those? And you'd open the little paper window and there was a different shape, a different type of chocolate in each day until you got down to Christmas Day, and that was usually something related to the manger. Our family loves Advent so much that we have usually three or four Advent calendars going in our house, and we still have them up. We have a quilted one with an angel, and there's a star that moves along, and each day, different kid got to move the star. We had a snowman from Nana that held up the number of days left till Christmas, And then Cindy's dad, Pop-Pop, gave us a Williamsburg big Georgian house, and that has doors that open, and there's room for candy 
and we get candy in there every day. And I'm excited about December 1st because there will be some candy in there as we open that door and look forward to it. Cindy says, maybe, maybe not, if there's time for shopping. I hope there is because that's something that makes this little kid happy still. The truth is, waiting is never easy. Even with our two-day shipping from Amazon, it seems like we can't even wait for that. Waiting is at the very heart of the Advent season. And this time of year is, as we know, much more than about presents and just holiday cheer. During these four weeks leading up to Christmas, we remember that for hundreds of years, people were waiting for the birth of the Messiah. They were waiting for their Savior to come. And the church has been celebrating that for ages. Jesus came and in the midst of the world's mess brought something beautiful. He brought hope. He brought peace. He brought joy and he brought love. And through his life, through his death, and ultimately through his resurrection, he would restore the world to the way that God intended. He began that restoration process. He brought life where there was no life. He brought a relationship to God that had been missing. And so as we look at these themes of love, peace, joy, hope, I say them out of order every time, that we make our way towards Christmas and we celebrate those promises that God has made in his word for the ages, but for you today as well. So hope is a day, hope is today's theme, and hope is a day that we use a lot it's a word we use all the time at Christmas time. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. I hope we have snow. We got snow for Thanksgiving. Will we have snow on the ground for Christmas? I hope my stocking is filled with things other than coal. We hope we get the presents for our kids. As you get older, you're excited about giving more than getting, aren't you? About finding just that right thing that you want to give to the people you love in your family. But we've lost the depth of the idea of hope. It's not really just wishful thinking about trivial things. It's not hope light. That's not what Scripture talks about. Last year, if you were here, as I preached through the book of 1 Peter, our theme was God hope. Peter uses that word hope over and over again to encourage the church through difficult days. The early church was struggling under the oppression of Rome. And our church was struggling through COVID, and we're still struggling through some of the effects of that. So if you missed that series, you can go back and watch it online. You can listen and hear about God's hope from the book of Peter. But in chapter 1, Peter gives us a summary of the word hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here Peter says, preparing your minds for action. And that's a translation from a Greek phrase that talked about girding up your loins. And that's not a phrase that we use a lot. We know the word gird from girdle, but even that's kind of an older term today. In Bible times, the men would wear, not a dress, but a really long robe on the outside. We talked about that just a little while ago. And it would be pretty hard to run in that because it went all the way down to your ankles. 
So if men needed to do something, like run away from problems or go into battle, they would lift up that robe and they would wrap it around and tuck it into their belt, kind of like a girdle, and they would be prepared for action. They would be ready for something. And that's what Peter is saying. Our minds need to be ready because our future is shaped by the present. Hope means that we are fully prepared for what is going to happen now, but also what's coming in the future. Hope is about something good coming, but it's also affecting the way we live, the way we act, the way we think right now. So I want to encourage you this morning, three promises that bring us hope. And if, you're, if you enjoy taking notes, you can look in your bulletin, pull out that note sheet and fill these in. First one is hope is certainty about the future that impacts the present. Our hope is not set in some ambiguous optimism for no reason, like, I just hope things get better, and I'm just going to keep hoping that they do. Our hope, biblical hope, hope from God, is set in specific moments in history. The arrival of Jesus Christ as a baby, his life, his death, and his resurrection were moments in history that impact us today, 2,000 years later. Because our hope is in that Messiah returning again. Our hope is in a life with God forever, in eternity. And that affects the way we live our lives today. Restructuring the way we look at the world. When we look at things going wrong, when we look at the problems in the world, we can recognize that God said these are because of sin. They're the impacts of sin in our world. But as we look forward to a final restoration, we have hope for the future when Christ comes to set everything right again. As we looked forward to Thanksgiving and our kids, our immediate family coming home, we hoped to see all of them. And the weather map always can affect that. We don't know what's going to happen. But that meant we had a lot of things to do. We had air conditioners to still pull out of windows. Anybody still have any air conditioners left in their home? This cold weather maybe reminded you that you should take them out. It meant food shopping. It meant cleaning out gutters, which immediately filled up with leaves again the next day. It meant putting away the things that had accumulated on tables and counters. It meant for us baby-proofing the house, checking around to see if our grandson was going to be safe. It meant getting beds ready, washing things. And in the midst of all of that work and tiresome labor, we were excited because we were getting to see our kids. There was joy instead of grief. We were looking forward to a full house and enjoying our time together. Our hope for the future affected our spirits and our attitudes in the present, day by day as we got closer. A mark of almost every person within the Christmas narratives is that they were full of hope about the fulfillment of this historic promise. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read this morning, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. The Old Testament talked about promises, prophecies about the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. 
And each one of them helped sustain the people, the Jewish people, because they believed that rescue was coming. Even though they were being tormented by foreign nations, they were being taken over again and again. They were being taken away as captives and made to serve all of these foreign countries. In that deep darkness, there was a light coming. And in the Christmas narratives, there's an old man named Simeon. Simeon is a wonderful person as an example of someone who has oriented his whole life around the hope of God's promise that a Messiah was coming. This passage in Isaiah would have been one that Simeon would have gone to again and again, looking at this time when the light would shine in the darkness. And that's exactly what happened on that first Christmas night. God chose to have Jesus born in the dark so that the angels could fill the sky, that the light that was guiding the wise men could brighten the sky so that they could see that there was a change coming, that there was hope. After Jesus' birth, Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, took their newborn son to the temple because that was what was written in the law. You needed to go present your firstborn to the temple and figuratively say, this child is yours, Lord, just like the first fruits of their labors. They would bring in the tithe. They would bring in their firstborn child and say, Lord, this child is yours. So they traveled to the temple to dedicate and consecrate the baby Jesus. And when they arrived, Simeon was there as well. It seemed like he had been waiting his whole life. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, which is one of our favorite Christmas passages. It has a lot of details about Christ's birth. I'm going to read verses 25 down to 35, which tell us specifically the part about Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Some traditions, that means extra-biblical writings, would tell us that Simeon may, be his, may have been as old as 112, waiting for the birth of the Messiah. And it says the Holy Spirit told him that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. 
he would see the Messiah before he died. By the prompting of the Holy Spirit again, Simeon is there at the temple on the very day that Jesus and Mary come to present, sorry, Joseph and Mary come to present Jesus. Was that just an accident? No, this was God preparing this through the ages for Simeon to be there and to witness the coming of the Messiah. He was there at the exact moment. And when Simeon saw Jesus, he knew immediately who he was, overcome by joy and hope as he's realizing that this one that he's been waiting for, the world has been waiting for, has finally come. Simeon takes the baby Jesus into his arms and recites a beautiful prayer. Can you even imagine what Simeon would have felt to know that after so long, this thing has finally come to pass? Simeon, in his many years, in his old age, had seen so many painful times in the nation of Israel. He saw the Romans come in and conquer and occupy his people and his land. He saw bloody civil wars. He saw a multitude of revolutions by the Jewish people trying to overthrow Rome, and he saw them all crushed. Yet in the midst of these and so many other dark moments in history, Simeon held on to hope because God had promised him and God always keeps his promises. He still believed that God was not done and even at 100 plus years old, he knew that God wouldn't let him down. He believed that the Messiah, the Deliverer, was on his way. And in Luke 2, it says Simeon is standing at the temple holding the promised Messiah, the one whom through the world would be rescued. And as I was reading this passage, it made me think of the Lion King, which obviously copied this biblical epic moment in history. And Rafiki holds up Simba, right? And shows the whole people. Here's, here's the baby cub. And here's Simeon lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ to God and saying, thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you for the promised one. Simeon's day-to-day life was filled with hope because he believed that God would keep his promise of a Savior, of a Messiah. Secondly, we see that hope is born out of a deep longing and a desperate need. Simeon shows us that hope comes from longing. It comes from a recognition that we need something and that we're hoping for it. We're going to find it in God's presence, in God's comfort. Luke tells us that Simeon was there in the temple serving God and waiting for something very specific. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. To console someone is to help them feel better in a moment of grief, in difficulty, providing encouragement and comfort. It doesn't mean that God was going to just pat them on the back and say, They're there. Everything's going to be okay. God was providing the answer to the problems. The answer to their need for a Messiah. The answer to the need for redemption. To be saved. This phrase showed up also in the book of Isaiah. Hundreds of years before. When Israel was defeated and destroyed by so many nations. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians. The Greeks and now the Romans. And these chapters in Isaiah were written 
right in the middle of these difficult times, Isaiah said, your consolation is coming. I'm going to send a light in those dark days. Don't be discouraged. The Messiah is coming. And the Israelites held on to that hope through generation after generation. The promise that one day things would change. They could have hope. They could have comfort. They could have encouragement from God. And that God would come through. The word that Luke uses for this waiting is on the screen. And I'm probably not going to pronounce it properly in the Greek, but it's prosdekamai. And it means to give yourself access to yourself. It's a kind of waiting that you do from the deepest parts of yourself. It's a waiting that allows pain. It allows you to recognize that something's missing. A deep hurt. And Simeon had that kind of hope, that expectancy. And his hope came from a recognition that things aren't the way they should be. Things need to change, and only God can do that. So in these weeks leading up to Christmas, I would encourage yourself, you to let yourself recognize that deep need that you have for God. So many of us, when we recognize that we're not feeling well, we're not sure why, we feel a little despair. Maybe it's when the house is cleaned out and all the company has left and you've gotten things back to order again, things are clean, they're quiet, and you say, huh, I miss that mess, I miss the bustle, I miss the people, even though it was frustrating at the moment, picking things up the whole time. What's missing? What's missing? And so often we just fill that with something else. We don't think too deeply about why we don't feel that same joy, but maybe we'll go shopping. We'll shop online. We'll we'll fill it with our accomplishments. Maybe I'll get that raise this year. Maybe I'll get that promotion. We fill it with denial. There's nothing wrong. I'll just keep going. Sometimes we fill it with substances and we abuse them. Instead of leaning in to that deepest need for God's comfort, for his healing in our lives. We simply try to distract ourselves. And in the end, we miss the hope that is offered in Jesus Christ. When we do this, we're living, but we're not really alive. We're just pushing down those painful moments, trying to let them pass. But this year, as we go through these weeks of Advent, I would encourage you to engage with the season, to think about your current situation, the things that cause you pain, the things that cause despair, and think about why they are the way they are. Are they things that God knows about? Certainly. Are they things that God can control? Of course. Are they things that he's going to fix right now? Maybe not. But is he going to heal them? Is he going to restore them all in the future one day? Those are things that we can count on. The ancient prayer of Advent is, Come, Lord Jesus, come. The final words in the book of Revelation say, Come, Lord Jesus. How badly do you want that? How aware are you of your need for God's comfort, your need for his healing in your life? There's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer who talked about Advent 
back in the 1940s. He was living in Germany, and he was a pastor who refused to give in to the Nazis. He said, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep discipling people, and even to the point of going underground and spying against the Nazis, his own nation. He said this about Advent. The only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them, whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. People with restlessness who have souls with no peace, knowing that they're poor and incomplete. Think about last week's message from the Gospel of Mark, if you were here. We need to humbly recognize our need for a Savior. If we don't recognize our own emptiness, then we're never going to be ready to have God fill that. So this part of hope is born out of the deep longing of the desperate need. This year, I would encourage you to not distract yourself, to not soothe yourself with stuff, but to wrestle with your pain and to recognize that only God can fix those situations. We're waiting for something so much better than any of the things that we think can fix how we feel. Out of that deep longing can come the comfort and the hope of Jesus because we recognize that only he can fill it. Our third reminder, our third promise is that hope is found in a person. Peter tells us that our hope is not just wishful thinking, it's amazing news. Remember that verse that I just read for you. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been revealed to the world, but has he been revealed to you? Have you recognized him as your Savior? Have you asked him for forgiveness of your sins, repented and said, I need you, Jesus. I need a Savior. Only you can fill this emptiness in my life. It's not your 401k, which is up and down every day. It's not a relationship. It's not your kids. It's not a job, a particular president, or even a good report from the doctor. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and in his promised return in the future that he will restore all that was broken. As you read through the New Testament, many people who came in contact with Jesus missed that very point, the significance of who he was. Even though the Old Testament writings pointed to him, the prophecies, the hope that Israel had for the future, most of them missed it. But not Simeon. Simeon saw Jesus as just a baby, and yet he knew that he was the anointed one. He was the one promised to come and to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring joy, and to bring love. So why did Simeon get it right when so many others didn't? In short, because Jesus isn't who they were looking for. Jesus wasn't the Messiah that they thought was coming. They wanted a political warrior king to come in, to overthrow Rome, 
to give them their land back, to give them back their prosperity, to give them back all the things that they wanted here in the physical realm. And again, as we see in the Gospel of Mark, which we're taking a break from for just a few weeks, Jesus said, I've come to proclaim repentance and the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom of God comes. When you humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I need a savior. That spiritual kingdom that lasts forever is what Jesus came to proclaim. But people were looking for a physical kingdom. They were looking for him to set up his throne right there in Jerusalem and rule the nation. Their expectations were not met in Jesus because they were expecting and wanting the wrong things. They just wanted an immediate fix to their problems. And that's the same thing we face today. We look for what's going to solve our problem immediately. Something that's just going to make me feel better right now without thinking, what is God teaching me in this situation? What does he want me to learn? How does he want me to trust him to know that he's got this under control? When our hope is placed in anything other than the promises of God, the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus, we tend to settle for hope in much lesser things. And these things always fail. They always lead to frustration. So this morning, in the midst of whatever you're going through, where do you find your hope? How do you answer this question? Is your hope based on something you want God to do? Or is it based on God himself? Is your hope based on something you want God to do, and you want him to do it right now? Or is it based on God himself? Is your hope found in Jesus Christ? The holiday season seemed to bring out the best of us and the worst of us. They're filled with good times, but they're also filled with difficult times because we have expectations of ourselves. We think we can put on the best holiday meal. We think our kids are going to act exactly the way they're supposed to, that they're going to remember to say their pleases and thank yous, that they're going to let Aunt Hilda kiss them when they arrive, when she arrives. We want all of these things and those expectations aren't fulfilled and we're left wanting more. That that's not where our hope should be. Instead of hoping for something to be better, instead of hoping for people to act the way we want to, we need to hope in something. We need to hope in Jesus Christ. So during this Advent season, we don't just sit idly by waiting and hoping. We need to embrace that anticipation, those expectations, and now do something. Free ourselves to fix the things that we have the ability to impact in our lives. It's like when a couple finds out that they're expecting a baby. They have nine months to wait, usually, and it seems to take forever. As we looked forward to the birth of each of our children, just like getting ready for Thanksgiving, but on a much larger scale, there were so many things that needed to be done. Picking out a room that would become a nursery, getting it painted, getting it cleaned up, putting together all of these weird pieces of furniture that you never had before, cribs and changing tables and 
Today they turn into each other and they transform into one thing or another. Getting all of those things ready. Buying diapers, buying onesies, getting bibs, buying more diapers. Getting ready, looking forward to what's about to happen. Your life is about to change and it's never going to go back. You are never bored doing nothing during that hope, during that anticipation. When we have hope in Jesus, we should never be bored. As we're looking forward to his return, we have so much to do to get ready to join him in his work, in his kingdom work, with great anticipation. Are you actively waiting? As you look forward to Jesus returning, and when you say, come Lord Jesus, do you think immediately, what should I be doing to get ready? Or do you think, just come quickly and get me out of the mess I'm in? Jesus came proclaiming a kingdom. He wants us to be preparing for that. At the end of verse 35, uh, back in Luke, Simeon said to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Just as the nails pierced Jesus' hands and his feet, just as the spear pierced his side, Mary's heart and soul would be pierced as she saw her son, God's promised Messiah, nailed to a cross. And at that point, his disciples, even his family, had lost all hope. They thought, this is terrible. This is a horrible ending to what we thought was going to be God's change for the world. But then, three days later, he rose from the grave. He was victorious not only over death, but he provided eternal life for all who would believe in him, for the Jews and for the Gentiles. As we think about Advent season, as we hope for Jesus coming in the manger, as we hope for him coming back again, we have to remember that he came with a purpose. He came to provide salvation. And he had to die for our sins to do that. So as we wait, as we look forward to Jesus' return, what are some things that we can be doing? Bringing other people to know him, sharing the hope that we have, with those around us, teaching our children to wait and to wait well, not just appeasing their wants and their needs immediately, but teaching them to wait, that it's good to have hope for things that are going to come, serving the people around you, loving them with God's love. For some of you, it might mean repenting of your own sins and recognizing that you too need that Savior. Not just the warm, cozy feeling that you have at Christmas time when you're singing familiar songs, when your lights are on around your house and you're hearing old familiar music and you just feel better for a little while. That's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't came to just help you feel good for a season. He came to restore your soul, to bring water to a dry, thirsty heart to bring life to dry, dead bones, to give you a relationship with God that begins the moment you're saved and it lasts forever and ever. We all wait for Jesus' return, but we need to wait actively because of our great hope in Him.